For those of you that perhaps don't know me, I'm Candice, married to Mark. We have three boys, and um, we are enjoying leading Life Changes Church. We moved here from Durban about nine years ago um, when Daniel was a tiny. My third one was like eight weeks old or something ridiculous, so it was all a little bit crazy. But we have loved the the journey of ministry, and um, we've got an incredible team. A lot of the ladies here are part of the eldership team who are sitting in front, and just an amazing, amazing team around us. And we just, we just love what we do. We absolutely love what we do. Um, I grew up in Joburg. Then when I was 21, moved to Durban, got married, got saved, knew Jesus, um, gave my life to Jesus, and um, found, uh, met Mark, had babies, and um, now I'm in Cape Town. And I must say, I'm sorry, but Cape Town is just the most beautiful city in the world. It is the best by far, and I just love the Cape. I love what the Cape has to offer. I'm an outside girl. I love nature. I don't know about you girls, but I just love going for walks. I really appreciate, like, walking on the beach and seeing beautiful sunsets and sunrises and love being in the mountains. You know, we often go to Cedarburg and we go camp. I just love open spaces, being, you know, out of buildings and concrete walls. I just feel like I can connect with God so beautifully. I can hear Him. Um, I feel refreshed. My soul gets replenished. And um, yeah, I often irritate my boys because, you know, I'll be saying, look at that cloud formation and look at, oh, look at the colors. And they're all like, yeah, mom, okay, whatever. But I just, I absolutely love it. And what I also love is I love beautiful gardens. I just really, really appreciate beautiful gardens. My next door neighbor is here tonight. Sharon, where are you? Just wave your hand. There you are, right at the back. But uh, she has the most exquisite garden, the most exquisite garden, beautiful colors, just an array and variety of the most awesome flowers and plants and fresh herbs. I even, you know, I ask her, I give her a call. I'm like, I need some herbs for my cooking tonight. Or do you have lettuce? Or do you have um, some basil or parsley or whatever? And there she hands it over the wall, and I've got fresh herbs for my cooking. And then, you know, she has this granadilla bush that just flows over my wall, and the granadillas are just booming with fruits, and there's granadillas all over my my grass, and the boys come in with this whole thing of granadillas, and I'm like, she's got the most exquisite garden, and I often just go over there for coffee and, and have a little bit of a break from the crazy wild testosterone that runs around like crazy in my, in my house, and it's just so serene and peaceful and beautiful. I just love it. I love beautiful gardens. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't love gardening. I hate gardening. I don't have um, green fingers. I'm not the best gardener. I tend to kill a lot of plants, actually. Um, Sharon, my neighbor, has given me so many flowers and plants to just try and plant. And I'll be like, yes, okay, okay, and I'm going to do this. And then they die. And then, well, I do have like a lemon tree um, from Sharon. That was yours, hey, Sharon, that you gave me. And it's got like about three green leaves on it, but it's only been like nine years or something. No fruit, no fruit. Um, But I must tell you a story that I have managed to keep a tree alive that she was getting rid of, and um, it's called the ponytail tree. And I'll tell you a funny story. It was actually during lockdown. My um, 
domestic lady was actually staying with us um, during for a couple of months during hard lockdown and helping us. And she's a Zimbabwean lady, and she she knows all about farming. She grew up on a farm. She understands trees and farming and, you know, all of this stuff. And um, she was hanging the washing outside, and next thing she sees um, my neighbor Sharon just digging up this tree. Um, massive, massive tree, beautiful tree. And she just decides, without me knowing, she's like... Candace will take that. She will take that, and we'll, we'll don't get rid of it. We will. Candace says yes, yes. We're going to take it. And um, next thing I see, I come home, and I see Sharon's husband Keith, my man, and Rivimbo. That's her name. And she, they were like transporting this massive 300 kilogram tree on a trolley through to my place. And I'm like, what is going on here? But they, anyway, long story, um, the tree um, was planted um, and it's actually miracle of all miracles. It is alive, it is looking good, and it is glorious in the corner of my garden. So that and a couple of succulents. I've realized succulents are the way to go when you don't have a lot of time, and I'm not very, you know, I'm not very good. It needs very little water, very little attention, and they look pretty. So there we go. Um, but um, where was I? <laughs> but I really do marvel at God's creation, and I really think his, his handiwork is absolutely exquisite, and we see it on all the details of colors and patterns and flowers and plants and fruit and all the varieties. It's absolutely mind-blowing. And I just think, what an incredible imagination. What an artist our God is. And um, I often think, actually, I wonder what the Garden of Eden was like. I often like walk in you know, forests or gardens, and I think, sure, can you imagine the Garden of Eden? And I've got this crazy wild imagination, but it must have been nothing short of absolutely beyond beautiful, anything, beyond anything we could ever imagine. And in the first two chapters of Genesis, we read the story of God creating the universe, the entire universe, and everything in it. And um, God brings into being this flawless creation. And he leaves his masterpiece for last. He leaves creating Adam and Eve the first male and female on earth, and um, he places them in the beauty of this garden, the Garden of Eden, what seemed like absolute perfection and paradise. But we all know the story, hey? We all know the story of what happened in the garden. Eve doubted God, and she ate the forbidden fruit, and sin entered for the first time and destroyed this perfect garden. But the good news is that the beauty of the garden doesn't need to be lost. That Jesus has come and he has broken the power of sin and he wants to come into the garden of our own lives and the garden of our own hearts and he wants to bring some of that beauty back. That's what he's come for. That's what his purpose is. His purpose is to restore the garden of Eden in our lives. And not, not only do we look forward to the restoration of what Eden was, but there's a garden that's waiting for us, for us that goes beyond Eden, and that is the afterlife, the new heaven, the new earth, where we get to spend eternity with God. I believe the garden of Eden for us today, you might be asking me, what is the significance of all of this? But I believe the garden of Eden is a reminder and a picture today of God's ultimate purpose for us. Genesis answers a whole bunch of the big questions in life. Who am I and why am I here and what is my purpose? And although some of you may know the answers to those questions, I think it's always good to remind ourselves 
isn't it? Because we all forget, right? We all forget, and it's good for us to be reminded. So tonight, I'm going to speak about the Garden of Eden and what life was like in the garden and how he wants to restore some of that for us today. So the title, if you're taking notes, is Life in the Garden. If you haven't picked it up already with the stage and the leaves and the everything, it's beautiful. Life in the Garden. Before I carry on, let's read it's a whole bunch of chunky scripture together. I hope you're okay with that. Um, the scripture's going to come up behind me, so you can read on the screen behind me. If you've got Bibles, get your Bibles out, get your phones out. Let's start from Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. It says this. Okay. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then let's move to Genesis 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made... All sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Moving on to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruits of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman. Woman, because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So I'm going to share three things of what life in the garden was like and how God wants that for us today. Number one, life in the garden is to know him is to know him. And actually, I'm going to spend a bit of time on this point because this is the most important one of all. And everything, you see, everything that God created, he spoke into being. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, uh, let, let there be, um, I don't know, I can't remember all the stuff, but, you know, and it was so. And, um, but when it, when it came to creating us, in verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. You see, when it came to forming us, God laid his hands on us in the dust of the ground, and he breathed his breath into us. We were created to be in a place of his presence. 
and being close to someone, when you think of being close to someone, you can't get closer than actually them breathing on you. Otherwise, it gets a little bit awkward, hey? Unless it's your husband or your boyfriend or whatever, something like that. But when it, <laughs> yeah, especially if they've got bad breath. You don't really, yeah, let's not go there. Okay. Um, but I used to love having my babies when they were newborn. I used to love having them sleep on my chest. And I used to love hearing their breath. I love hearing them breathing. And I used to love breathing on them. There's just such an intimacy and such a closeness. And uh, I just love this picture of God breathing the breath of life into um, Adam and Eve. That actually we were created for this closeness. We were created for intimacy with God. We were created to know God in this way. In Genesis 4 verse 2, it says, Adam knew Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And this act of intimacy in marriage, um, this this, um, word knew is actually the act of intimacy in marriage. And it's the same sort of intimacy that we can have in knowing God and loving God and being intimate with God. And um, God chose to breathe his breath into humankind, not in any of these other creatures. There is an intimacy and a closeness um, that we share with God that distinguishes us from the rest of creation. And if you're breathing tonight, you're designed by him and and you're designed to be with him. Your body desires the presence of God. Some of you might not even know it, that actually what you're really desiring is the presence of God is God himself. And um, we sing these songs, nothing else can satisfy. Actually, he has to, we have to come to that place where he satisfies. And um, some, of you, uh, some of you may be sitting here tonight and you've got this God-sized hole that will never be filled unless you fill it with God. You've got this God-sized hole and you feel like no amount of money, no amount of alcohol, No amount of sex, social media is going to fill that hole because it was meant to be filled by the presence of God. It was meant to be filled by this intimacy, this intimate relationship that he's actually placed inside of our hearts to have. And um, we were created for his presence. We long for his presence. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, I love the amplified version. It says this, he has also planted, I love, see, planted, there we go, the gardener. I just love that. He has planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Nothing else can satisfy except God. You may be looking for it elsewhere. I don't know, but God wants to fill that space. God wants to bring you to that place of satisfaction. And he has planted that sense of eternity, that longing for his presence. Um, We try to replace his presence with counterfeits, you see. Success, money, achievements. These things aren't bad. They're not bad. But when they take his place, then that's not good. It doesn't... When it, it doesn't quite fill that empty space that is meant to be filled by God. Yeah. And we try to replace his presence with our preference. We try to replace his presence with our preference. We prefer our comfort. We prefer our plans, our timing. Um, you know, th- we are in a self-obsessed world. Uh, there is so much selfishness and self-entitlement. But actually, it's not God's way. It says in Genesis 3 that um, 
Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the evening. There was this intimacy, there was this relationship, there was this communion, this um, interaction. And I like to think of them just walking in the cool of the night, laughing together, sharing some jokes, you know, like carrying on and just having a good time. And uh, we were made to know, we were made to walk with him, we were made to hear what he's saying and for us to, to, to give everything of ourselves to him, to speak to him, enjoy him, his creation. And maybe you're new here tonight and you've been asking these questions, why am I here? What is my purpose? Now I want to tell you God's ultimate purpose for us is to know Him. And it hasn't changed 2,000 years later. It was His purpose then, and it is His purpose now for you tonight. And it's not just head knowledge, girls. It's not just knowing about Him, right? Because we can know all the scriptures. We can know that Jesus died on the cross for us. We can yeah, I know it's good to come to church. We come to church. We go to life group. But um, truly knowing him is actually experiencing his presence, um, having his, his love transform you from the inside out, um, hearing him speak to you. This is what you were created for. Uh, gr- growing up, I, I knew Jesus had died for me. My, my grandfather told me the gospel from a young age, and I said the sinner's prayer, and um, I knew all about heaven and hell. I, uh, but I, I used to come to church every now and again, like on Christmas and Easter, and when my mom wanted me to come to church, I'd come to church. But I never really experienced this close relationship with God until there was this, when I was about 22 in Durban, I had this radical encounter with God, and I have shared some of my story here, but I really felt the presence and the power of God, and I felt the Holy Spirit, and I felt God speak to me and just say, my girl, are you going to give your life for me? Are you going to actually live for me and give your whole life for me? And um, I came to this place of revelation. I came to a place of repentance. And since then, he has just transformed me from the inside out. There's been this transforming power. There's been this excitement. There's been this joy. There's been peace and strength and grace and a God confidence that has grown and it's bubbled up over the years. And I've been able to stand going through some really, really tough, difficult, difficult times. But I have stood because he has been with me. I know my God. He is my God. He is my Savior. He is my shepherd king. This is the lover of my soul. This is the one who I hear. He speaks to me in the middle of the night. He speaks to me in my darkest moments. And um, I just, this is what he's got for you, girls. You're not just meant to come and listen to a preach, come to an arise night and listen to an inspiring message. No, I want this for you. I actually want this for you. I want you to experience his love because it is that good. It is that good. And the problem is is that Eve chose to disobey God, right? She ate the forbidden fruit. She didn't believe God. She believed the enemy. He managed to convince her that she was going to be like God if she ate the fruit and she was going to have God like this, be like God and have wisdom and Um, And what happened was is that sin entered this perfect world for the first time. And let's read in Genesis 3, 6 to 10. It says this. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. 
When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So they hid from God because they suddenly felt shame. And they sewed these fig leaves to try and cover their, their sin and their shame and um, their guilt. And sin separates from God's presence. Sin separates from God's presence. And shame makes us hide from God. And God is asking you today, God is asking us, where are you? Because he's a God who's a relational God. He still wants relationship with his children. And he asks, where are you to Adam? And he asks you tonight, ma'am, where are you? God's heart is for relationship to be with us. And we hide rather than coming near God. When we've done wrong, when we're feeling guilt and shame, we actually hide. But that the better thing to do is actually just to come to God in repentance because he's that good and he wants to be with us. And um, we feel too ashamed for his presence. We feel not worthy of his presence, right? And um, the last thing, what I need to say to you tonight, girls, is that the last thing God told us before, this was in Genesis 2, verse 25, the very last verse of Genesis 2, and um, before the fall of man, before Satan entered, before um, sin came into the world, this was the last verse. It says this, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. The last thing God told us before the fall was to know no shame. And God has that for us tonight. He wants you to know no shame. Nothing that you've done in your past. I don't care if it was 20 years ago. I don't care if it was yesterday. I don't care if it was on your way to the meeting tonight. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. He does not want you to carry that guilt. He does not want you to carry that shame. And he does not want you to hide from him. You see, God still wants relationship with us. He doesn't want you to feel shame. And um, this is so beautiful because God didn't leave Adam and Eve naked. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves and stuff. And, um, but God, in his mercy and his kindness, he makes garment of animal skins and to cover their shame where there should have been consequence, but God, and there were consequences, but I'm not going to go into all of that, but he, he, there's blood that is shed in killing these animals and making these animal skins for them to cover them. God covers them in his mercy and kindness, and that's just a picture of God sending his son Jesus to die for us as the perfect sacrifice, because in the Old Testament, they used to kill um, once a year, they make sacrifices of, of lambs and whatever, and to, to ask for the forgiveness of the Israelites' sins. But there's a better covenant, and that Jesus is the one who died for us once for all, for all time, for all sin, for all humankind. And our coverings, you see, can never cover our shame. We try. We try cover. We try make a plan. We, we, we try cover up. We, we go out and we maybe, you know, have a drink and we try cover up feeling bad and feeling guilty and what we've done and what we're feeling. But actually, that can never cover our shame. Only Jesus' blood. Only the blood of Jesus can cover us completely and our sin completely. And because of the sacrifice, girls, we can come close to God with confidence. We can come before the throne of grace and we can come with, um, I think in Hebrews, oh, I don't have the scripture here, 
but it says in Hebrews 7 verse 19, it says, but now we have confidence, but now we have confidence to enter and um, have confidence in a better hope, which is Jesus, through, through which we draw near to God. And his promises, when we draw near to him, he draws near to us, right? He draws near to us. So life in the garden is to know him. That's number one. And secondly, life in the garden is not only to know God, but life in the garden is to know others. Life in the garden is to know others. It says in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. God doesn't want you to walk this alone, ladies. And um, God creates Eve for Adam, and we are introduced to the first marriage in Scripture. But I believe more than just marriage. I'm not going to preach on marriage tonight because that's a whole other thing, right? I'm not going to preach on marriage. But I am going to say that his purpose for you is to not walk alone, is to be in community, is to be in relationship, is to walk with other fellow believers, girls and the sisterhood of believers that is going to hold you up when you are struggling, that is going to speak life, that is going to speak courage. And when you are weak, they will be strong for you and they will pray for you. And um, God wants us to walk in community, to not walk alone. And his purpose has always been relationship. In Genesis 1, verse 26, I love this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God introduces himself as the Trinity, the Godhead three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in his very being, he's about relationship. He's about this, this dance between the Trinity, this relationship that is worked out. And you see it work out throughout the whole of Scripture, from Genesis right through to Revelation. We see how this relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, um, right, right through Scripture, the Father sends his Son to die for us. And Jesus says, I can do nothing by myself. I do only what I see my Father doing. And then he says, before he goes back to the Father, he says, the Father, the Father's going to send you the Holy Spirit um, in my name who will teach you all things. So we see this, this play of uh, interplay of relationship, and it's just in his very being. He is about relationship. And and um, we've been preaching through Exodus, uh, a series on um, the Israelites coming out of Egypt, coming out of slavery, and, and God calling a, a people. And it says, the Israelites were called to be a holy nation, a people of God. And God would say, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And like Gabe would preach often, he would say, I cannot be a nation by myself. I cannot be a people by myself, that actually God is calling us together, his church, his bride, his sisterhood. I love seeing all your faces together. I love hearing the ladies worship together. There's something so powerful about us being together. And um, Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, not my Father who art in heaven, our Father. The New Testament, Paul's teachings is all about relational unity. It's all over, girls. God doesn't want us to be alone. And uh, the culture, unfortunately, today is radical individualism, radical individualism, where the world is shouting for you to be an individual. But God, it's not God's way. God is counterculture. We need to move again. Move again is the word for the year. We need to move again towards people. And maybe there's some of you here tonight, maybe 
Some of you have gotten to some bad habits during lockdown where you, it's all about me, myself, and I, and my own little bubble, my own little world. But that's not what God's called us to, definitely not. And um, we can get into, I think a lot of the lockdown is we have, we formed some bad habits of just, you know, you can self-justify. It's much easier this way. I don't have to, you know, be offended by anyone or I don't need to see anyone. I can just kind of go do my own thing. But that's not, that's not God's thing. And I love the example of Jesus' life when he walked on this earth. I love this. He, has, he had three different groups of people that would follow him. He had the crowd, which was a whole bunch of people, that, a crowd that would follow him when he preached in the synagogues, out of the synagogues. And then he had his community which I believe were the 12 um, disciples that he ate meals with and he was friends with and, they, and he taught and they, they laughed together and they walked together. And um, then he had his three closest friends, Peter, John, and James, his core. So he had his crowd, the community, and the core. And um, these three closest friends, Jesus in his most vulnerable state, in his most weakest moments before getting crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would ask them to come and pray with me. Come aside, just you three, come aside and pray with me. And I want to ask you tonight, who is your crowd? Who is your community and who is your core? And on a practical level, don't get lost in the crowd. You see, it's easy to come to church and it's easy to just sit on the fringes come to church, listen to the sermon, and go home. Um, but that's not what God wants. He wants you to be, get to know people and um, don't get lost in the crowd. It's um, easy to get followers on Instagram, isn't it? It's easy to get lots of likes on Facebook, but that's not real relationship. That's not real relationship. That's not all, not all that God wants for you. Then I want to ask you, who's your community? Who are your friends? Who are your, your godly girlfriends that are going to challenge their challenge you and encourage you, and you're going to do life together. And I want to ask you, are you in a life group? Are you in a life group? Because I'm looking at some of you looking a little guilty over there. Don't worry. It's okay. I'm just encouraging you. I'm encouraging you because I want what's best for you. I want you to grow. I want you to learn. I want you to not get lost in the crowd because you can so easily get lost in the crowd. And, and God wants you to be in relationship. He wants you to be in relationship. Um, who is your core? Who are those people that are going to pray with you when everything is not going well? Last year, we had a tough time with one of our boys, and we had like three or four couples in ministry that really knew the story, and we could just say, pray now. We didn't have to give details. We just say, pray now, and they would pray. And in my weakest, most vulnerable states, I could just weep on the phone or weep and just ask for prayer and ask for help. God wants that for you girls. And so he's created us to know him. He's created us to know others. And thirdly, life in the garden is to make him known. In Genesis 1 verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So God's plan is for us to populate the earth with those who know him. So have babies, lots of babies. For those of you who are married, babies, 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 I'm prophesying over you. In Jesus' name, bam, there we go. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, no, that, that's not everything, but... <laughs> 
But yes, it is part of it. Raising kids to love and follow Jesus is very much a part of it. But what I, what I really want to share tonight is that actually he wants us to represent him in every area of our lives, in our families, in our schools, in our boardrooms, in our universities. He wants us to represent him and um, to make him known wherever we go. And then being fruitful for me is producing, is creating. Part of God's purpose for us is actually to work. And it's, you know, it's in our nature to want to work and create and build. And this is part of God's purpose for us. And God um, put Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden to work. It says to work and tend the garden. When I think of my neighbor's garden, lots of planning, lots of time, everyday touch of um, taking weeds out and, and watering, and lots of work goes into it. We are the gardeners in God's garden. We need to work, and we need to tend the things that he's given us to do. And for some of you, your garden is your home, your family. Maybe in the kitchen, preparing meals for your kids and your family. Perhaps it's in the classroom, teaching students. Perhaps it's in the boardroom and meeting clients. And I don't know, this is your garden that God's given you. And he wants you to make his name known. God, you see, God could have chosen, God could have created everything he wanted and filled the earth himself. But he chose to create us to work alongside him and to partner with him in his own work. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's incredible to think that God trusts us to partner with him to do his work, isn't it? It's so beautiful. And we have a mission and a mandate, girls, to make him known in all that we do, in all that we are, and I want to challenge you to not just live a white picket fence Christianity life. That actually that's way too small a thing for us. That's way too small a thing for you. And I want to challenge you tonight that we're not just meant to live safe, sanitized Christianity. That there's a bigger call. There's a bigger mission and there's a bigger mandate on your lives. It goes beyond yourselves. It goes beyond yourselves, girls. And um, there's a bigger story and a bigger call. So life in the garden is to know him, is to know others, and is to make him known. And God is restoring the garden of Eden in our lives. He says, I am going to make a way to experience the blessing I originally planned for you. And God brings us into another garden, the garden of Gethsemane. You see, in the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve hid among the trees because of sin and shame. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is face down, crying out amongst the trees. And he says, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he takes our sin, and he takes our shame, and he nails it to the cross. This is the garden where he redeems us, where he restores life, and he brings redemption. He makes a way by sending his son to die for us, so that we can experience his presence, so that we can um, be close to him so that we can enjoy relationship with fellow believers so that we can make him known and have a sense of purpose and destiny over our lives and we can have eternal life with him one day when we pass from this earth. And God is restoring life in the garden and he's wanting to restore life in the garden of your hearts tonight. I want to end off with this. I love the first picture that we get of Jesus when he appeared to Mary after the resurrection. And you know what that was? She thought he was a gardener. And I often wonder why. I wonder why she thought he was a gardener. 
And I like to think that actually this is the Jesus who was prepared to get his hands dirty in the soil for us to know him. He was prepared to come into our mess. He's prepared to come into our sin and our shame and our dirt. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. And I just get a picture of him kneeling, hands full of soil, tending the garden of our hearts. And he's not scared of your mess, girls. He's not scared. And he wants to come and tend the garden. So I want you to hold, I gave you those plants tonight as just a reminder and a picture of what God wants to do. Why don't you just pick up those plants, those little seedlings? And I want you, I want you to stand. Why don't you stand for me? And I want you just to hold those seedlings close to your heart and close your eyes. And maybe just repeat after me. Father God, I want you to bring life into the garden of my heart. I want my life to count. I want to bear fruit for you, Lord. I want to come to know you more. I want to walk with fellow believers. I want to make you known. Come even into the messy parts of my garden. Let seeds of faith grow. Let courage grow for the call that you have on my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And with your eyes still closed, I just, I really felt to pray from, for those, perhaps you can just keep your eyes closed, for those who are, perhaps you're hiding from God, perhaps you've come tonight and there's a lot of shame that you're carrying. And I want to tell you that God doesn't want you to carry that shame, that actually tonight he wants to set you free of that shame. And that he's asking, where are you? And he's saying, where are you, my girl? I want to be with you. Don't you see my son Jesus has died for you and my blood is enough for you to cover your sin and your shame? Come close to me and I will come close to you. Don't hide from me. Don't hide from me. I want to make myself known to you. I want you to walk with me closely. I want to talk to you. I want to tell you things. I want to show you things. Oh, Father God, I just lift these women to you, Father God. If there are women here tonight that are hiding, that feel that they don't deserve your presence, that they don't deserve to walk closely with you. Father God, I pray that you would meet them in a radical way right now, Lord. I pray that they would experience your presence. They would experience your love. They would experience your joy. They would experience your transforming power tonight, from tonight, Father God. Would you meet with them, Father God? Would they, would they just feel your love pouring down from heaven, Lord? Would they feel your smile from heaven, Lord, right now, Father God, that they would come into to relationship, close intimacy, close. Feel your breath, Father God. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that never fails. Thank you for your blood that covers all of our shame, Lord. Father God, I want to pray for those. Perhaps there's some of you that are feeling alone, that are 
that you need to come close again, that you need to have courage again to come and move into people again and move into perhaps you've been hurt and you've been rejected, but God is saying, come into community, come into relationship again. Walk with the sisterhood, walk with um, fellow believers. And I just want to pray for those girls now, if that's you. Father, I just lift up these women to you, those that are lonely, those that have been hurt, that have been rejected, Father God. Give them courage to move towards your people, Father God, to move towards community, Father God. I pray for friendships to form, Father God, that as they give themselves to community, they give themselves to friendships, that you would meet with them, Father God. You would work through them, Father God. And Father, I want to pray lastly for those girls whose worlds have become small and it's become very much just about me, myself, and I. I pray, Father, that you would give us greater perspective for the mission and mandate is to make your name known, Father God, to make your name famous, Lord. I pray in whatever the platform you've given us, whatever the garden is, Father God, that we would have courage to step out and to live lives for you, Lord. Father, that... You, wouldn't, you don't call us to smallness. You call us to greatness, Lord. You call us to big things, Father God, to make your name known, Father. Now, just lift, the, lift your name up tonight, Lord. I lift your name up. To you be all the praise and the glory and the honor and the power. You are worthy of praise. You are worthy of honor, Lord. We love you, Jesus. <laughs>